welcome to episode number 247 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. Woohoo! My name is Jill, and with me today we have Michael, Ryan, and Noah. And also with us just off camera, but piped in direct from Jitsi, is our glorious community of fact-checking, ego-busting patrons. On this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to discuss the topic of Mozilla Firefox and whether we can stop its continued decline. Then we're going to discuss the literal game-changer in the device that has everyone looking at Linux in a big way. Yes, it's steamy news about the Steam Deck, and there are some awesome videos and sneak peeks we are excited to talk about. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All this and more coming up right now on Destination Linux to keep those penguins marching. This week in our community feedback, Benjamin writes in, he says, Dear Destination Linux, I'm writing to you today because I learned what a huge responsibility storing your own data really is. I lost 184 ADA tokens, which I paid somewhere between four to $500 for. And because I thought my crypto would be safer in my own wallet stored on a crypto than stored on a crypto exchange, I lost it because I distro hopped without backing up my recovery key except for on the disk that I just wiped clean. To make matters worse, I also canceled my Trezor service because I figured, hey, what the heck, I could save $15 a month and still keep my data safe. I can't emphasize enough what a huge responsibility it is to store all of your data locally, especially if you don't do it properly. If you don't back up your data, it's kind of like owning a car without car insurance. Sure, you might not get in a crash. If you do get into a crash without insurance, it's a catastrophe. Now I'm going to renew my Drezor service. Best wishes, Benjamin. So we wanted to take a moment to address this because you're absolutely right, Benjamin. If you're not taking, if you're not doing all of the things that you need to do to be able to recover your data and you have a single point of failure, that data isn't stored in at least three places, then you're right. You are taking a fairly decent risk. And People lose data all the time. When we encourage people to store data locally, uh, I we, we need to be very clear. It's not store data locally one place and hope for the best. It very much is. You need to take responsibility and ownership of that data. Now, it does come with the benefit of privacy, but it also comes with a downside of burden. So at the Destination Linux Network, we're here to help. And so we're going to help you kind of sort through this. So first of all, I want to give you a little bit of encouragement. If it hasn't been too long and you still have access to that hard drive, you might try running a piece of software called PhotoRec, P-H-O-T-O. R-E-C. And what PhotoRec is going to do is it's going to search through your hard drive and look for files that exist on the drive, but no longer are indexed. There actually isn't a way to delete a file on a hard drive. It's not possible. We don't really have that functionality inside of, of computers. What we do have is the functionality to tell the computer that a given space on a hard drive is available to be written over with new data, or we can intentionally write over that drive with new data for the expressed purpose of getting rid of older data. But there really is no such thing as deleting a file. So if you've not written over that drive, even if you've reinstalled the operating system, you may have written overwritten parts of the drive, but the portion that contains those keys may actually still be there. So I'd recommend you give PhotoRec a shot and see if you can get some of your data back. Now, going forward, am I going to recommend that you sign up for a cloud service and move all your data off? Absolutely not. What we're going to do is we're going to come up with a plan 
and a strategy to make sure that your local data is safe all the way through. So the first thing, if you do nothing else, go grab an external hard drive and once a week, just make a copy of the drives. Everything that's important to you, have it inside of a folder and you can just simply copy that folder and paste it over into the drive. You want to get a little bit more advanced with it? Use rsync. Now you want to take it one step further. Your data should exist in three places. Why? Because mm -hmm. if in the event your backup fails, well, now you've potentially corrupted both your source data and your destination backup data. That's no good. And so if we have it in a third place, preferably an offsite third place, well, now we're singing and, and cooking with gas in the fire. Now, if you say to yourself, you know what, Noah, sounds great, but I'm just, I'm bummed. I lost all my data and I just feel like I need a place to recover first before I get back into owning my data. That's okay. If you're going to look into a cloud backup service, I highly recommend you do uh, that with privacy in mind. And there are services like Spider Oak out there that are going to allow you to encrypt the data on your side first and then send it up into their backup service. And so they don't even if have access If I could right the there, Noah, because mm -hmm. that's a really good point, is that some of these services like Tresserit state that they are very privacy focused and encrypt locally and that type of stuff. I use service like Mega NZ, which is very similar to that, but I still encrypt my own stuff before sending mm. up there. So that idea that you're just going to rely on the fact that the service says that it's doing something private or that it's encrypting locally, you can always take that additional step, like you're saying, of encrypting it yourself and then sending it up there. Uh, if you go to a cloud service, I'm not even necessarily telling you not to use a cloud service. I'm just saying be aware of the privacy implications. And also, I would be aware of this. You should assume that anything you transmit over the internet is being collected somewhere by some government or some agency or some ISP. Uh, that maybe my tinfoil hat is a little bit too tight, but if I'm wrong, no harm will come of it. If I'm right, then you should assume that any data that you transmit is being stored somewhere. And over time, encryption is going to be broken. If we looked at back what it would take to break the encryption back from the nineties, uh, it would be trivial. And so I say that to exemplify to you that if you're going to use an online cloud backup service, so be it. But a, take the best precautions that you can, and B, don't ever upload anything onto the internet, period, if you can't afford for it to get out in the open. And that includes things that you've encrypted, no matter how secure you think the encryption is. So hopefully that helps. Hopefully you're able to get the data back. I'm sorry that you had that loss. And uh, please write in, let us know if that helped. We love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mug. We want you to fill it with some coffee or bubbly, sit down at the nearest stool and send an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. Our team of organizational robots will go through, scan all over your email and then organize it and present it to us. And the best one will rise to the top. This episode of Destination Linux, it's brought to you by DigitalOcean. And now is the perfect time to try DigitalOcean. Why? Because they have their new app platform service that helps you build modern cloud native apps for way less money. With their app platform, you can build, deploy and scale apps with static websites faster and easier than ever using their suit simple and intuitive interface. You simply point the app platform at your GitHub or GitLab repository and let DigitalOcean do all the heavy lifting. The process before was complicated. You had developers, you had them sit down, you had them write the code, then you had them push it up to GitHub. Then you had the system administrators come in and you had to pull down all the code, but then they didn't like what the developers did. So they had to go back and fix something. And then finally you could get the system administrators to set it up and roll it out onto a server that you had to pay for and you had to maintain. But oh, guess what? Something didn't work in the code. So now we went back to the device. It's just a huge mess, right? What DigitalOcean has done, they said, cut the middleman out, actually cut all the middlemen out and just let the developers push directly out. 
They have an idea. They have a concept in their head. They can make it work with code. DigitalOcean has the infrastructure to do all the rest. And by running on their app platform, you're running on DigitalOcean's infrastructure. That means DigitalOcean is going to keep costs significantly lower than other products. Plus, it's all built on top of DigitalOcean's Kubernetes, providing for a smoother migration path so you can take control of your infrastructure and set it up too. Now, it gets even better because as a listener of the show, you listen to Destination Linux and DigitalOcean notices. So as a member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app free. It's free. Actually, it's better than free because we're going to give you $100. We're going to give you $100. So you go to do.co slash DLN. You take advantage of that $100. You try it for free. The reason DigitalOcean is willing to make that $100 investment in you is because they know that you won't go anywhere else once you've tried their new app platform. So again, it's do.co slash DLN to get started with your free $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. And of course, a huge thank you to DigitalOcean for continuing to sponsor this episode of Destination Linux. So today we wanted to talk about a topic that is somewhat interesting and a little bit controversial. And overall, it's about basically what's going on with Mozilla and Firefox. So Firefox has been in the news recently with a, a release of the latest version of uh, 93 for Firefox. And there's a lot of cool stuff in there, but there's also some stuff that people have had some issues with. So we wanted to talk about Mozilla, what's been happening with like the history of Mozilla, like how how we're, we've talked about it on the show in many cases, because as I know, I'm a huge fan of Mozilla and I've been using Firefox since it was called Phoenix. And technically speaking, when it was Netscape browser before that, there's a lot of great history for that project and for that software, but they seem to be taking a, a weird turn as of late. And, you know, there's a lot of people talking about the decline of Firefox since, you know, it was a huge, a huge product back in the day. And now with Chromium and Chrome or Chrome and Chromium based browsers taking over a lot of the market share, there have been some people talking about how maybe Mozilla needs to rethink the direction that they are taking because I think like just uh, last year they lost about since last year they lost about 12% of their user base which is a significant since 2018 amount. by the way Michael uh. it's 50 million people they've lost wow yeah so uh, that's not uh, that's not a good thing to hear but what, do, what, what let's talk about like what is the cause of this why do we think that this is happening and do we have any solutions so before we go, because I, 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 I think we think anybody can kind of anticipate kind of the general direction, but before we kind of get there, let's talk about how we got there, right? So Google comes out and they did the world a favor by coming out with Google Chrome. And I remember when Chrome came out, people were super oh, yeah. excited. It was, mm-hmm. hey, finally, we're going to get away from Microsoft, the bad guys, and Google, the good guys, right? And over time, you insert period of time and then things like... AMP come out and it just kind of festers and then it just kind of grows. And eventually Microsoft looks over and says, hmm, not really worth developing our own browser. That one, that browser over there is running like 70, 80% of the internet. Let's just piggyback off of that. In my personal opinion, that was when we really ran into trouble because once Microsoft got on the same boat and now we've got Microsoft and Google and all of these large companies are then working with other companies like Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and all of these companies to make sure that your your experience on Chrome with all the tracking is going to be flawless. And the Mozilla team, all credit to them for going out and and trying different things and attempting to preserve privacy and keep pace with the speed and performance that people were getting out of Chrome. 
We use Firefox and we support Mozilla because of their commitment to privacy. And so when a company makes a different decision, we're not here to beat up on Mozilla. We're not here to drag anyone down, but we are here to call a spade a spade and to say that, hey, we have a firm line in the sand with privacy. And so the browsers on this side of the line, we're very interested in and we want to grow. And the browsers on that side of the line are bad and we want nothing to do with. And so if there's a browser that started on this side of the line, however good the intentions are and eventually moved to the other side of the line, we have to call that out. I think that's a really good point. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's exactly what I've been feeling lately. I, I gotta, we're all friends here, so I could just make an admission. I've not been using Firefox as much. I, I basically, I have it on all my machines, but I've stopped using it. And that's because I feel like, Noah, that line has been crossed and it's continuing to get crossed and it's getting crossed further. In fact, it was crossed the moment that Firefox started turning on all their telemetry by default and you had mm. to know to go into the privacy settings after you did an install and start turning all that stuff off. Now, some distros mm -hmm. do that for you, in their local install of Firefox, but Firefox out of the box has all this telemetry turned on. But then I was reading, actually, this is from our discourse forum. Someone was posting, hey, did you see in the new Firefox that as you're typing into your show, your search bar, that it now has a feature called show search suggestions, which displays ads and promoted items at the bottom of your search bar. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like we have gone out and promoted this to our audience, which is worldwide, and said, use Firefox, no matter if it's slower, no matter if, I mean, and a lot of times it's not, but even if it was slower, still use it because it's privacy focused, because they're not doing this telemetry. And then Firefox keeps making these decisions that make it so difficult to support them. And then in addition, with the VPN situation, which was kind of the fire that really burned for me, where they released this VPN off of a service that has support fully for Linux, but then doesn't bring it to Linux later. It's, I feel like they want to monetize their existing shrinking base and they have no plan for the future. I've seen companies do this a million times before where they lose their foundation. And one mm -hmm. company that a lot of people talk about that lost its foundation is Walmart. A lot of people back in the day talked about Sam Walton that he would turn over in his grave if he saw what Walmart turned into. I'm sure all of you have heard stories and things about that, what his kids did to the company, because Walmart essentially lost its foundation for a long time. Now, the company still ended up obviously being very successful, but there's a lot of people who refused to even walk in one for a lot of things they did over the years. And they've gotten better, and they've tried to improve that reputation, but they've lost their foundation for a long time. Firefox is so far from its foundation at this point that it's a very imperative that I think we have this conversation out in the open and public and be honest with ourselves and say, is this the company that we all started backing and saying represents open source, freedom of speech, privacy, and security that it used to? And right now, I have a real hard time answering that yes. Yeah, I'm with you, Ryan. I have stopped you know, using Firefox as much, not to mention it doesn't work as well with WebRTC, which is something us podcasters have needed. It's, it is improving, but it doesn't work that great. So, um, but I think also it's not just all the major decisions that have been made, but all those little paper cuts. Like mm. for instance, you know, Firefox on mobile has a lot of great features like private web browsing and great tab organization and organizing URLs with um, their collections, which I love using. But you know what it doesn't have? Something that used to be default with the Firefox browser. It doesn't have a home button, nor can you enable one. 
Mm. <laughs> and That's crazy. Uh, it just drives, actually drives me up the wall because this is that, that is the workflow that I've come to, you know, be used to for years and years in Firefox. And, you know, these are the kind of paper cuts that frustrate users and is one of the reasons why Firefox is losing market share. And at least on the desktop, I always enable the home button on the desktop version of the browser. But it, it, it should still be enabled by default. I mean, come on, it's something so simple. And yes, that's a simple thing to look at. But there's tons of these little paper cuts that are well, dwindling away. It's audience. interesting you mentioned that because a lot of people were actually really frustrated with the recent release of Firefox because it was focusing on the overall design and GUI instead of focusing yeah. on the underlying engine and privacy and security elements that we love. But you mentioned something really interesting, Jill. You said all the paper cuts. And the first thing that came to my mind was that TV show was one of the first paper cuts. You remember when they forced... Some off of that TV show that was really popular. Oh, the iRobot thing. iRobot yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a huge... Now, now it ended up being not a big deal, but it was a huge kind of everyone wakening, going, what the heck is going on that they're enabling yeah. this thing on the background and pushing that to my browser without me agreeing to it? Um, that was kind of the start of this decline. But I just... Michael, you were telling me before the show that Firefox was working on an app recently. Yeah, they've, and, been, they've been working on, you know, they have their own add-ons that they do inside of the marketplace, right? And they have a lot of great uh, functions and they have like the container tabs, I think is amazing. There's so many cool things that Firefox makes, but they also mm-hmm. been wasting time on stuff that doesn't matter. Like I recently found out that they have an add-on that you can click that you regretted a suggestion that YouTube gave you on a video. Like, why are you spending time on stuff like that? Like, it's only for YouTube, and there's very few people who actually work using that add-on, but you're spending resources to make something that seemingly has no value. So See, I want to I, I to go in on that point for a second, because I think Noah and Jill, you've managed people, you, you've turned departments around, you've run your own companies, much like myself. And when, when you have individuals beating two different drums. It's not that Mozilla went out there and created an add-on that adds some simple functionality, who cares? It's the fact that you're in your death throes of your company. You've lost all of your business. You're losing 50 million million users year over year. And instead of having your entire employee base beating to a drum of reestablishing a foundation and growing that company, you have people off creating things that add nothing to the growth of the company. Very talented people. I'm not saying the tool's not talented. I'm not saying the people creating it's not talented. But why not have those people focused on apps and things and add-ons that add to that foundation of what you want Firefox to be? And to me, when I think about how could you be a niche in a browser market? Well, a lot of companies actually have already tried to answer that. You go for security and privacy. That's why Brave exists. When we had Vivaldi CEO on, what did he talk about? All the privacy settings and all of that. They know that's their niche to separate themselves from Chrome. Hmm. That was Firefox's niche, though, well before any of those. And they've gone completely away from it. And if my company, if I ran Mozilla, I would be like, listen, I, I love that you have this idea for an app that does stuff with YouTube. But right now, what I need you to be focused on is getting us apps and add-ons and things that help the privacy and security so we can grow our base and not just monetize the dying base we have left. I feel like the company is so far from its foundation 
And it's very frustrating because we've all loved this company. If you go back and listen to DL from the beginning to end, it's all Firefox, 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 Firefox. And I'm not saying don't use Firefox anymore. I'm just saying mm-hmm. I don't see a way out if they don't change their leadership entirely. They're making it hard for us to promote them because as people who are advocates for privacy and Firefox has been that easy suggestion for so long, but now they're changing these things. Like I I think that telemetry in itself is not necessarily bad, but random telemetry that seemingly has no value. Like for example, the whole search suggestions in when you type in the, the Omni bar or awesome bar, whatever it's called. Uh, When you type into that and you start showing suggestions at the bottom, I'm not going to look at that. That's that is a worthless location for an ad because I'm not even paying attention to that. If what I'm searching for does not show up in the top three things, then I did a bad search and I need to do a different mm. search. Of my, like it, so to have that being there just seems why. Like so, I think that there are ways that if they want to monetize, I'm not against monetization. Of course I, not. Yeah. If they want to do mm. Mozilla VPN and actually make it available to everybody, that's great. If they want to do their own like approach, email service or yeah, anything email else. service. Yeah. Like I, I think it'd be great to see like a, a, a Mozilla, you know, competitor to Google Drive and that kind of thing. Like if they actually br- brought Absolutely. in something that people want, they they would have a lot of options to make monetization practices. It just seems sketch. Yeah. Like there's all this stuff when you start reading because I was reading their privacy policy that's like it's so it sounds off and then they come in and say well we only store it locally or only send certain information and then the whole thing I'm just going why am I reading this on Firefox's privacy policy? Yeah. <laughs> it's like Mozilla has just lost direction. It's like the people who have taken yeah. over are are have are, don't really fully get the the direction and the and the goal and the mission that Mozilla started with, you know? Well, trying to understand their privacy policy, like I was saying, it it was like reading Google's privacy policy. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. I don't expect to have to, like, weave through the words to figure out what they're really doing with my data when I'm dealing with Mozilla. I expect to have to do that with Google. I expect to have to do that if I was uh, going to open an account on Facebook, which I never would over my dead body. But if I was, I would expect to have to go through their privacy policy and try to weed through what they're really doing with my data and stuff, but not with Firefox. I expect them to have a very clean, English-written, plain privacy policy that's just like, here, this is what we do and this is what we don't do, and that's it. But now I look like it looks like I'm reading any other company's privacy policy, whether it's a random Samsung phone or whatever privacy policy. It's the same kind of gibberish that's hard to interpret. Would you guys pay for a web browser? There was, yes, a mo- yes. there, was oh, a mo- yes. there was a monthly fee, voluntary, like you have to do it because it's open source, right? But you pay a monthly fee and that funds the ongoing development of the browser and also funds things like marketing and stuff so they can get the word for the browser out there. I, I asked because I would pay for that. I would pay for that in a heartbeat. It's my most used tool. Well, like out it, of every software out there, I yeah, use that more browser. than anything it's, else. Of course, one of the most important. So consider this too, right? The web browser is quickly becoming the operating system. I mean, you can have whatever mm-hmm. you want powering the web browser, but at the end of the day, people's new companies' new the new platforms are really just a website. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I would for for sure, I agree, and I think that that Mozilla could consider that as an just give an option to people who want to do that. Like, they don't have to require it. That would be a mistake in terms of market share, but they definitely give it as an option for us to support them. Because the only way to really support Mozilla is to just random do, randomly donate to the foundation or mm-hmm. to uh, do the but Mozilla VPN that people don't want to use. That foundation until they what I think what Noah's saying is hey. Instead of you trying to sell all of our data and be like every other company, which is where they're headed, 
why not just change your model entirely and say, hey, we were we're we're being pressured to do this. Wikipedia, I think, does this a lot, or one of these companies like that, where they'll basically yeah. say, hey, we're ad free today. And we're under a lot of pressure because we need to make up Please this donate. much of our budget. Yep. But if you guys donate, we'll keep the ads off this thing forever. And every year you get those emails and every year yes. I donate because I'm a sucker for it. <laughs> Same here. Because I don't want ads. Mm. And then you don't have to deal with ads on there. So you kind of let people know this is the status what we're dealing with very transparently. And here's the solution to it. If you want to keep Firefox from grabbing your telemetry and, and being the privacy focused and freedom of speech focused uh, company that they've been known for over the years, then this is what we need from you. The leadership, though, I, I don't see anything from this leadership. And I'm just going to be honest here. I don't see anything from this leadership that makes me think they understand the foundation of this company or why it ever became popular in the first place. I see no signs that this leadership understands Firefox at all and and its, and its base because every decision they've made for the last year has been the wrong one. It's also sad because of the fact that if you think about it, without Firefox, there is no option. There is no other option. Like if you look right. at all the other all the other browsers that we have, like LibreWolf or Waterfox or the Tor browser and all these things, they're the ones that are based on Firefox. What would happen to them if Firefox was gone? Well, and, actually, hold on. You know, so I just want to pause right there because that is where open source is still going to win. I'll tell you what will happen. Yeah. A bunch of developers will come together and they'll keep doing that project, even if the Mozilla Corporation takes Firefox in a bad direction, because we can just fork the code. And that's the option that Google that we don't have with proprietary solutions. And I just forking a massive project like Firefox and forking the Gecko engine. I mean, that it's in theoretically possible. I wouldn't say that it's a guarantee that it's going to happen. Like I don't open know. source Force is awesome people. that it would be possible. I don't. I wouldn't say that outright that it is a, that it's. We don't have to worry about it. I think we still have to worry about it. I think that's a benefit to Noah's point, and I think to your point, Michael, it would be a huge undertaking. But we could see it, and that is the great yeah. thing about open source is that that's even a possibility that that could happen. It's true. The other side is also true, though, that the possibility of getting everybody together in a massive group to support something like a browser engine. It could collapse and it goes nowhere, and Chromium now goes from seventy-two percent to one hundred percent of all the engines out there. Well, I guess minus Safari, we still have Safari out there. Thank goodness for Apple, folks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> hey, oh, we can't use yep. their browser. My bad. Yep. Um, but you know, you mentioned something interesting about Tor. What is the browser mm -hmm. that has Tor built in to where you can put an Onion web address and it automatically translates it to a Tor? This is a Tor browser made by the Tor project, and it's powered well, by Firefox. Yes, that does it, but Brave also does. So if you're in Brave and you type in an Onion address and you have mm -hmm. Brave out of default, mm -hmm. it will automatically translate that into a Tor browser. Why is Firefox not doing that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're literally Tor is based on the Firefox yeah. browser. And in Firefox, you cannot put an onion address in default and get to uh, it. Yeah. Just things like that frustrate <laughs> me. Well, speaking of uh, spinoffs that are actually amazing and have the full package is SeaMonkey. I, I know it's it's the old school uh, Firefox based web browser, but it's, it's based... Um, more on the original code of Netscape. So they've they've taken it into another direction and it's it's very much supported and it's an excellent browser. And is there a mobile version I, of that, Jill? That no, no. Yeah, because they See, I like to have all of my browsers <laughs> the same across all my devices. I'm not saying Sea Monkey's not awesome. Yeah. That's great. I'm just personally 
I like to have that same icon on every device I have, whatever that's going to be. Just the icon is understand. Just well, because everything syncs and I know how to navigate stuff. Like I want sure. it all to look that, the same. I mean, yeah. why wouldn't you? I mean, if it's the right choice on, if you're making a privacy conscious decision on desktop, why wouldn't you want to sure. make that same choice on mobile? So it makes sense to have consistency across the, yeah. the platforms where that's possible. Right. Having the option, it would be great for sure. I, I just think that, I think that this, the thing that uh, frustrates me the most about this is that we're we're such huge fans of Firefox and Mozilla in its history, and yeah. they have been they've spent decades helping the open web and, the, and making and making stuff private for people, and giving the people a choice, and you know also yes the open source factor, and we just feel like they don't know what they're doing anymore. And it's very frustrating because as a person who has been a, a rabid advocate for uh, Firefox, I, I use Firefox all the time. It's my daily browser, except when I'm using WebRTC and I have to use a Chromium-based browser. And not yeah. because I, I want to do that. It's because it's just not going to work as well in the browser. And they're seemingly spending time on stuff that doesn't make sense for the user. And even in some ways, kind of detrimental to the user. Like, so how do they fix yeah. this? Do we need to get rid of Mozilla Foundation's leadership? Do we need to tell them to step down? I mean, if we tell them from DL, they'll do it. I mean, it's guaranteed. So, I mean, is yeah, that we what have we're that saying? Much influence for no, apparently. No. But seriously, <laughs> I mean, is it a leadership change situation? Is this is do you? I think don't know Firefox? if it's a leadership well, thing. Well, the, the CEO is making millions of dollars, yet they laid off, you know, lots of people. That was <laughs> so, a thing that happened where yeah. there was a, a, it was a news report about how they had they laid off people, but also the CEO got an increase in pay, and it yeah. was. People have argued that that's a horrible thing, and like, in it, it necessarily, it's not necessarily a bad thing in Correct. terms of like the CEO yeah. getting more money. However, if they're not growing the company, Performing. why are they yeah. getting more money? Like, that's the yeah. bigger question. Like, well, in, in an investor's mind, they may be growing the company because I understand it. There's the Mozilla Foundation, which and the, is yeah, corporation too, and then there's the corporation. And from an investor standpoint, if I tell investors temporarily, because investors never think about the future. They only think about where is my, is my stock money going up right now type of thing, or is my investment going up right now? Uh, the, the idea is, hey, I'm going to monetize more of the base that I have, then the CEO is doing a great job. If the idea is, will Mozilla exist five years from now, I say the, the CEO is doing a horrendous job because mm -hmm. the base is in complete decline. So I think from one aspect, from a pure corporate business suit standpoint, you could say the CEO is monetizing every opportunity they can off the base from mm. a, is this browser completely going to be insignificant? Because both Noah and Jill and myself and Michael have all said we've been forced to use Chromium, at least have a Chromium-based browser installed on our system, even if Firefox is the main one we use, because so many things like WebRTC requires you to have a Chromium-based browser to work properly. Yeah. It feels like the days of yesteryear in the torturous times where people would be like, this website lurks better at Internet Explorer. Exactly. That yeah. awful experience. And we're going back to that in a Chrome slash Chromium thing. And I don't want to go to that. I Correct. The idea of a single company owning the Internet or owning uh. the web specifically, I guess, is something that should be people like yelling about. That, that should not be a thing, yet Google is in that that tier and is very close to even having it already. 
And Mozilla is, I, I, I don't want them to be like, we're bashing Mozilla because Firefox is a great browser and I do like using it yeah. for, I mean, I love the container test system. It's, it's amazing. And I just want them to do stuff like that. Make using the browser the better choice rather than compromising because you don't want to use a Google thing. Like, it, you're, so, it shouldn't be a choice of Google or not Google. It should be a choice of this is the better browser. In my opinion, this is a leadership issue because it's always a leadership issue because as a good leader, the buck stops with you, period. And the company, in my opinion, is not going in the right direction. But mm -hmm. let's just assume for a second, what would Firefox need to do to regain everybody's trust? For me, you need to rewrite your privacy policy. It should be the simplest, easiest privacy policy out there, period. It should be a few paragraphs at best long because there's so little data or any telemetry that you're grabbing at all. The default should be off by default. And if you want to have a little GUI that pops up instead of just hiding it behind the scenes and say, do you want to turn this on or this off? That's fine, but it should be off by default otherwise. And I think they need to stay out of politics. I don't want Mozilla Foundation talking about their politics, their individual politics, or any of their leaders talking about that. This is a company I want to be like the EFF where they just focus on the things that focus on privacy, focus on security, focus on freedom of speech. Don't make it political. That's just your mission, period. That to me is what would make me completely go back to loving Firefox. Yeah. And and focusing on their base, which is the Linux users. Yeah. You know, guess what? Firefox is Good point, the default Bill. of, you know, most of the distros. And if they, you know, uh, make that browser better for us, it's going to trickle down to everywhere because Mm. Linux runs the infrastructure of the world. It I mean, does. The, it does for <laughs> sure. And I think the idea that they don't put emphasis on Linux at all is another yeah. case of not knowing what Mozilla is about, like the current leadership kind of thing. Because Firefox is the go-to browser for Linux and has been for years, decades even. But the, the idea that we have a browser that is our default that they don't even look to us as a like, you know, we'll do this in Windows first. We'll make the VPN mm -hmm. work in Windows first. We'll do all these things in Windows first. Like, how do you not see that the base that you're trying to monetize in is extremely high percentage of Linux users who are not on your side on this whole weird search suggestion ad thing? And, and also, like you talked about, Ryan, about the whole not having it on by default, there was a notice in there when I, in like their frequently asked questions about this is not going to be on by default when you upgrade and blah, 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 except everybody who has reported on it says that it is. And I personally, it was on when I did it. So it's like their, their policies are not even sticking to their own statements. So like we, we want to love Firefox. Help Stop us love yeah. you. It harder. Yeah. Firefox love. Yeah. So only if you change. Well, yeah. We I'll, I'll only love you if you change. <laughs> <laughs> if you change everything about you, I'll love you, Firefox. Yeah. Well, not no, everything. Keep not everything. Tabs. That's amazing. Yes, container tabs is amazing. That's the type of apps you need to be working on. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I, I think at the end of the day, the point we want to make is if you're using Firefox today, number one, make sure you're going into your settings and turning off all of this telemetry. And number two, consider writing the foundation, a nice letter, not something ugly or mean and things like that, or, or be on their forums or get involved in their public discussions with us because this is a company I think can be saved. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. they can be dominant again, but we need to really make it clear what they're doing right now. It ain't okay. Yeah. And also, I mean, not only that they can be saved, they should be saved because it's very important to have competition in basically every facet of industry. Critical. 
critical. And, we, and, and yeah. especially Absolutely. in the web, having one company dominating the entire thing would be catastrophic. So we definitely want to make Mozilla recognize that this needs to be addressed and hopefully they do it. Because, I mean, as someone who's, I've been on the show multiple times saying that tele- telemetry is not necessarily a bad thing, but even me, they've gotten to the point that even I am not comfortable anymore. So, you know, as a collective, try to give them some boost and say, here's where you're going wrong. Here's where you're going. Here's what you're doing right. But let's make it, let's make the best browser we can as, as together. Because that's one of the best things about the open source concept is that they make it possible for us to contribute. So let's see if we can. But someone who is doing it right, that is Bitwarden. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. You get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome piece of software because it is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, it creates multiple tools for you so you can have a secured vault to store all of your passwords in. You can automatically generate passwords and also fill in passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. And it does it across all your different types of devices whether it's your web browser, your mobile apps, your desktop applications, or even on the command line. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices. So you know you're the only person with access to your data. So get started by going to bitwarden.com DLN. And did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I also think you want to check out their premium account because less than a dollar per month gets you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. That's right, for less than a dollar per month. So get Bitwarden and have peace of mind knowing that your passwords and other sensitive data is safe and secure. You can also get the Bitwarden uh, business accounts where it allows you to help people in your company. You get signed up for Bitwarden and also family accounts, which I have used to help uh, friends and family get started with Bitwarden so that they have never used a password manager before. So they were kind of like worried, like, how do I get this started? And I just helped them with it. And with an organizational vault, you can help share the passwords and make sure that they learn it in an easier way. And it's just a smooth experience. So check it out, bitwarden.com slash DLN. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. So up next in the show, we're going to be talking about something. I'm not sure if everybody's heard of this. It's, uh, it's called a theme <laughs> deck. It's a, <laughs> it's a device that apparently is making a big impact. It's something that you steam Linux your deck with? Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. It's it's like a hard hardwood stain. I think it's what it is. Yeah. Anyway, so it's <laughs> <laughs> the Steam Deck is making a lot of impact, and we've actually we can pre- predicted that it was going to be a very good thing for the Linux desktop. We predicted correctly. Correctly. More. Uh, yes. More yes. importantly, it's already made a lot of impact in that space. And as we get closer to the release of this device, we want to discuss all the exciting things that we're learning about this console that is coming. Because I know we're all super excited to play with this. Not only in in terms of like it's a it's great to have a handheld gaming thing powered by Linux but also it it seems to be working as a PC for a lot of people so oh, that yeah. is something <laughs> super exciting too well, I want to start with the repairability yeah <laughs> because how often is it today we get a new device released that's latest and greatest tech that you can actually repair Okay, it happens every once in a while, but barely. But it's here's rare. the other thing. How often does that company release a video actually doing a teardown of the device before they release it to show you how to get into your device so that you can upgrade Woo-hoo. it and repair it yourself? <laughs> that, I can't think of cool. any other time that happened, actually. 
Well, I, I, there's a few, but it's, I think it's incredibly rare. Maybe Frameworks laptop. That <laughs> yeah, would be the only phone. other one. That's a good one. Uh, yeah. Pine. Oh, Pine. Pine Definitely 64. Pine. You gotta love yeah. Pine, of course. How <laughs> uh, could I forget? But this is actually interesting because this is really cool that they did this video, but there's also getting some controversy because of the video, because in the video they say, you shouldn't do this. And they say that, you know, you could hurt yourself and uh, even potentially kill yourself. I think at one point they said that. And, and based on like, if you do something wrong, you could set the thing on fire. So it is people it, there are is so a, silly that they're getting mad about this. This yes, is yeah. a company covering themselves from a lawsuit. Listen, if you go exactly. and take the first of all, the battery is very close to the base. And if you work on this stuff, it, we all know that I've torn apart thousands of machines. I've never had a battery spit all over me or spontaneously combust. But I've seen it happen. I've seen people prying their system open instead of using a plastic spudger and taking a flathead screwdriver and stabbing it into a battery and sparks start flying and things go crazy. It can happen. So the company is basically saying, hey, we don't want your everyday novice person to watch this video and just take apart their Steam Deck because and not realize what they're messing with is going to A, void your warranty because you're taking a flathead and stabbing it all across different things or whatever. People super glue. People do all kinds of dumb stuff all the time. Then somebody put super glue in their hair recently and things. Yeah. You really trust people to like make decisions and opening things up as a general <laughs> audience. So, I mean, the company was just covering its butt and people getting all worked up over that saying they're exaggerating and stuff. You've never, you must never worked for a corporation because the company has to protect itself from a lawsuit and things like that. The fact is, the amazing thing is, they created a video showing people how to get into a device and how yep. to repair and to replace it parts and everything. Yes. Yeah, it's very, yeah, it's very cool. Even, even the Steam Deck thumbsticks will be hot swappable with third-party companies providing replacement parts. That's awesome because a lot of the other handheld portables, that's that's an issue. Is the is the uh, thumbsticks. So <laughs> they did mention that the durability of the device would go down if you opened it up and broke in. And some people were upset about that too, Michael, but the, they're using self-tapping screws, yeah, which essentially create your drill pattern inside. If you're doing plastic, I mean, there's some for metal, there's self-tapping screws for everything else. Uh, I think again, they're just kind of protect, protecting themselves, basically saying like, if you don't put those screws in right, or you tighten them too much, it's going to go through the frame. Things like that happen with these type of screws. So th again, they're just protecting themselves. People get yeah. worked up over the silliest things. Yeah. And also, people well, called it like fear mongering. And like, uh, no, I don't. Yeah. I, I think they're just. I think they're just basically saying, hey, you should know that there's a possibility that this could be bad. So now that you do know, it's not on us. It's on you. Right. Yeah. Also, um, they know their audience. The Linux users are going to be taking it apart. I mean, it's, <laughs> what we do. it's what we do. And they understand that because they are yeah. nerds and geeks, too, who are Linux users. <laughs> so I, I was blown away by that. I love, Jill, that you mentioned the replaceable parts, that they're going to have a list mm -hmm. of companies that you can buy the replaceable parts from. Number one, uh, one of the price differences there, let's say you didn't have enough money because you remember even Gabe Newell kind of choked when he gave the price of the Steam Deck because they're selling this thing at a very ridiculously good price mm -hmm. for what you're getting inside. I think 349 is what the starting uh, one is. 399. 399. Yeah. But if you couldn't afford the upgraded storage option, then you can upgrade the storage yourself. Now it's an M2 2230, which is a very uh it's it's not a very popular form factor out there. But they do mention that they're going to have lists of vendors and things out there where you can buy parts from if you want to do the upgrade. So they don't suggest you do it yourself, but 
the options there. So if you couldn't afford the more expensive one, you could still upgrade yours to be as cool as Michael's because Michael got the most expensive one. I'm pretty jealous about it right now. I got the middle grade. <laughs> I got the middle grade too, but you know what? I think the screen's better on the middle grade. Yeah, wait till I upgrade <laughs> mine, Michael, and stab the lithium-ion battery. Even well, it's funny screen, because... The screen is supposed to be better on the on the higher-end one, but the, the reflections, it, it's it's not quite as bright is what the problem yeah. is. Well, I mean, <laughs> they'll fix that. We'll, we'll yeah. see. Hopefully that I they win, Michael. fix that. But it's funny because it's like, uh, we were like, I'm not the hardware guy. Uh, and you know, Ryan and Jill are the ones who are like really into hardware. So I just like, you know what? I'll just splurge. You're you neither one of you to get into this. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. You had to one up us. Funny, finally. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, the, it's like I, somebody has to get it. I'll, 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 I'll take the, I'll take the hit, I guess. Yeah. Hey, there's another reason why I didn't get, I didn't get the most expensive one is it's going to come out later. <laughs> It'd be sent well, later. Well, yeah. okay. So I, didn't too, too. I, didn't I kind of knew that. Well, I so, know, now I'm, now I'm disappointed. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> the cool thing that I saw about this too, is some of the benchmarks have come out for this and what I'm seeing, I'm blown away by it. Now I need people <laughs> because I've seen some comments in some of the forums where I'm like, people don't understand. This is a portable handheld console. So you're not going to exactly. get 170. You're not going for 170 frames per second here. You're going for smooth gameplay, much like your Nintendo Switch. Most of the games on Nintendo Switch are not 60 frames per second. Their goal is to get anything over 25. Over 25 is where you have a smooth, kind of fluid play. Now, of course, if you're playing a first-person shooter and you're being competitive in a tournament, you want to go 170 frames per second. You want a monitor that has a super fast refresh rate. You want all that stuff. Anyway. <laughs> but nobody's playing a portable console at a tournament. Okay. Yeah. So uh, people are mad about some of these numbers, but the numbers are fantastic. They're incredible yes. for a machine that is packed this tightly. Shadow of Tomb Raider, 36 frames per second on high. On high. That's amazing. On highest mm -hmm. at 30 frames per second. That's smooth. You're not going to have it. You're going to be playing that game and not notice anything in there that's a very smooth rate at custom settings probably doing some things low turning off some shaders that stuff 60 frames per second doom medium 60 frames per second custom at 46 cyberpunk 2077 which you know heck the playstation 4 pro had problems running that was 20 mm -hmm. to 30 frames per second <laughs> yes. uh, dota 2 low settings 80 frames per second highest at 47 these are very impressive stats yeah, for a handheld I console I want to uh, mention that the Doom benchmarks they were using for testing was OpenGL, not Vulkan. And the Vulkan mm. you know, numbers will be much higher. That's something I, I found out. And as you were saying, Ryan, the Cyberpunk uh, 2077, you know, it is not an optimized game. and has issues on higher-end uh, GPUs oh, yeah. and computers. So the fact that you're getting, you know, 30 frames per second from Cyberpunk 2077 is, is a big deal. <laughs> Yep. So absolutely. Yeah. And I think the thing that will get everybody who's not a gamer interested in this still is the fact that you have a full blown OS. You can dock this and literally use it as your computer. You're not going to be able to do that with your Nintendo Switch. Um, yeah. So the most important part <laughs> of that is not that you can use it actually as a full blown computer. It's the fact that it's based on Arch, Arch, Arch. It's also based on Arch, and there's all this technical what was it? stuff. What, was but it? It's what are you Arch, using these Arch. days for your uh, Arch, nowadays. by the way. Uh, oh, Arch. Oh, uh, <coughs> yeah. It's got Arch. It's Arch, Arch based, in case any of you were wondering. <laughs> Arc? Yeah. Arch. And, Arch. Arch. Okay. You know, it's okay, gotcha. really cool. Several people bought, brought monitors, keyboard, and mice uh, uh, and hooked it up. Even, you know, when they were invited to the uh, development and beta testing process at Valve. 
and it worked. Yes. And and people were testing it even back then. Not only that, Jill, they were doing productivity stuff on it. Exactly. They were, doing they, some they video actually, editing. And... Yes. <laughs> yeah. They, they were doing full productivity. So, Michael, you mentioned somebody being able, uh, wanting to use this in a minimalist yeah, kind of environment. I know someone who's, I talked to a couple of people who were, who were looking into like tiny home stuff or, you know, like RV life, like nomad kind of cool. stuff. And they were talking about this could be a solution to have like an all-in-one you know, because it is powerful enough to be a PC and also it can be a gaming and you can dock it so you could play it mm. as a, you know, a docked style uh, console. There's, mm. this is kind of like an all-in-one for people who are, you know, wanting to live a minimal life or on the go and that kind of thing and not having to have all these different types of things. And then if you attach it to like a, a mobile projector, you could have a crazy setup with some with all in one device. So, I mean, the Steam Deck is a very, very impressive uh, device, and I can't wait to get it. Apparently, I do have to wait longer than other people, though. It's coming this <laughs> holiday season, so I, I now Michael, this doesn't come until Q two. <laughs> right, yeah. I don't know. Apparently, uh, I paid well, more and wait longer. We'll get our hands on it. Well, when sure. we get our Steam decks, we'll have to do a live recording of DLN using them. Oh, That'll yeah, be finally. awesome. Yeah. I, convinced, yeah. I convinced all of you to use Arch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woohoo! I'm I win. Mine with Fedora. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing <laughs> I'd like to mention is, you know, we had talked about this in previous episodes, how Valve is doing something right. Because they show they they used uh, they're using KDE, a lot of first time users you said it was easy for them because it was familiar to Windows. <laughs> I saw <laughs> so, that. They were doing reviews with people in the background. So this wasn't exactly. like a stage thing to promote Linux and they were like, Yeah, I didn't even realize I was <laughs> not using Windows. Like it was everything was so familiar. They, yeah. they they felt like they were just in the norm. I mean, that what kind of a, that's such a good experience <laughs> to state that you have because yes. the fear is right that people will get these and then go and just put Windows on it. But because yeah. people aren't even realizing it, they're just exactly. going and doing their work like normal. <laughs> that tells you how far Linux has come, by the way. And just, also, absolutely. Valve is very upfront about how like the, you the putting Windows on it wouldn't even be a good idea because they're because it's so optimized for Linux. They basically said you could technically mm -hmm. do it, but you shouldn't. And the experience will be worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're gonna get slower frames per second. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's we good probably too. should uh, talk about games that you can put on the Steam Deck, which mm -hmm. Michael, you have a game to talk about here. But just one last thing we didn't cover is it runs Arch too. So oh, mm -hmm. we didn't. Oh, I, forgot, I can't believe we forgot that. Actually, wow. I yeah. think we did cover that. We did. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> did we? we did. Okay. We mentioned Arch. that. I think once, twice, three, four, five, six, seven, or eight times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, apparently, we got to have a baker's dozen to make sure that. We <laughs> <laughs> But the game that you could put on it is something that I've been playing because it is, I, I saw a demo of it for a couple months ago and I just had to get it when it came out. <laughs> it's called Skatebird. It Aww. is an adorable skateboarding game where instead of Tony Hawk, you are a tiny hawk or some other kind of cute bird. Oh, wow. Right? <laughs> you come up with that, Michael? <laughs> yes. yes. But oh, they actually so do have good. one of the, one of the bird uh, model species you can use says tiny hawk. So oh, it is kind of yeah, awesome. Cute. But you can grind on bendy straws, bendy straws, kickflip over staplers, carve killer lines through pizza boxes and sticky yeah. tape parks, all this sort of stuff. It is a pretty adorable game. And it's it's like if you've ever played Skate or uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater, it's kind of like that, 
but it's also unique in its own way. So because you're a bird, you can jump higher and sort of fly a little bit, you know, because mm-hmm. there's extra little features you can do. But the graphics look very nice. It's got a cute aesthetic. Uh, the audio and the music is quite good. They actually have uh, random brand, uh, random bird facts that are played occasionally in the background. <laughs> and it's so just kind of fun. Like they talk about like marlins and ravens and things. It's, it's just kind of fun. Awesome. But what, another cool thing is they have licensed music from different bands. And in mm-hmm. certain areas of the game when they have music played, if there's a, a, a swear in the in the song, it will be replaced by bird calls. And it, it's just a nice, like, fun Aww. extra. Like, it doesn't really change anything, but it does make you feel more kind of, you know, uh, ambiance to the game of the of the bird element. You know, there's a lot. I think the game is uh, is pretty fun. Uh, it is kind of expensive for an indie game. It's uh, twenty bucks, uh, but I think it is very fun. So if you are into any kind of skateboarding games and you want to say just something that's a, a cool, unique approach to that, I would say definitely check out Skatebird. Oh, nice. And the and the default color for the bird is pink, which I, I like. That's true. And I've I I still have to play this game, but I've been uh, watching a lot of other people uh, streaming it. And uh, the one thing about the price is that this actually comes to us from the developers Glass Bottom Games. Mm-hmm. And they've done lots of good games. Uh, they did the voxelated kitty cat runner that I really enjoy playing playing called Jones on Fire and the side scroller Hot Tin Roof. So this is from a well-known indie developer and they make mm. really good games. I mean, the game is very good. I mean, I, you can tell there's a lot of effort put into this game. I mean, there's there's yeah. different environments that uh, that change based on how you interact with it. When you complete missions and the environment changes, like there's a part where you're, the, the story is essentially you are a bird of a person who used to skate and is no longer interested in it and is kind of like sad and you're trying to help them feel better about themselves or that kind of thing. And there's the, the room, when you first start playing, the room is messy and like you <laughs> the birds start cleaning up things and like picking Aww. up cups. And they have this one thing where you put. Is this balloons. multiplayer? Unfortunately, no. Nest? It's a it's a sing, <laughs> it's a single player game. Uh, I am thinking about uh, streaming it myself because it is kind of fun, and I you know if somebody wants to Michael. see you know how it works, you can check out my streams. I, sometime I'd love to troll you in that. I have to ask Michael in real life when you were younger because I know you couldn't do it now. Did you try to skateboard? Yes, I did skateboard. Yes, were you were big in skateboarding, yes. Jill? I know uh, your distant cousin was probably you, Tony Hawk and trained uh, you. Don't you? <laughs> I, you know, I actually does... did some competitions as a youngster. You nice. Yeah, and like nice. I, I was it. the only girl skater in the 70s. <laughs> so That's it was awesome. a thing. <laughs> I tried skateboarding once or twice, but I kept running into stuff like the couch and I don't know, just you usually do that. You're outside. like, where's the keyboard on this thing? <laughs> outside? I'm sorry, I don't understand. I don't I, understand. I know it's, it's 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 a very complicated problem, yeah. I wanted to be a good skateboarder. Like I got the clothing down. I had the skateboard. I had the haircut. I had everything but the talent. To skateboard. <laughs> I, I also would passion, have to agree. Ten percent of the talent. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I was okay. Not good. Like I could stay on it. I could do basics, and that's where it ends. But, but nobody was surprised. Jill was a champion. <laughs> of course, uh, she did competition. Of course. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, the unique thing is, I didn't. It wasn't so much about the tricks with me. It was speed. So I was in, involved in some of the, the speed racings around the area. And oh, sca- skateboarding was actually uh, started in my community. So it's it's part of the surfing culture as well. Of course it did. So- <laughs> yeah, of course it did. So- and Tony Hawk's right here. Let me have him talk <laughs> yeah. to you guys about skateboarding. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's like you're talking about the, uh, the, like the, with the pool era where it started, like they started exactly. you know, just kind of creating yeah. the sport accidentally. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. 
And it's really we cute. We used Jill, to make but, our uh, own ramps and yeah. I don't want to brag or anything, but Tony Hawk literally sat in front of me at a Atlanta Braves game and I spilled Ooh. popcorn over him. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? Uh, yeah, no problem, dude. <laughs> you know, because I was like, oh, sorry. And he was like, no problem, dude. Yep. Yeah. So beat that, Jill. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Down to earth. That's, that's right. <laughs> So you don't want to spill your popcorn on Tony Hawk, but you also don't want to spill it in a wormhole. But that is our software spotlight <laughs> is wormhole.app. So if you're not familiar, wormhole is a really cool application. It allows you to uh, quickly share files very easily and also securely. So wormhole lets you share files with end-to-end encryption and you can just send a link to someone and you can also send the link before it's done uploading because it uses web torrents to accomplish this process. And it uses, um, all the files are being encrypted with 128-bit AES GCM encryption and the files, it's basically like a quick access to share files. We use it to send files back and forth when we do our local recordings for our audio so that I can edit them and we can get them quickly. The key is we're not sending critical files oh, like yeah, that's bank true. statements or anything else through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's just be very, we just send stuff that if somebody grabbed it, you're yeah, like, you okay. I mean, early. we're sending yeah. files that we're going to be publishing anyway later on right. when, when yeah. the shows are done. So <laughs> it doesn't really make a difference. But, uh, and also technically right now, we're what we're sending we are also streaming online right now too. Uh, it's but real private. What's, <laughs> yes. Yeah. What's cool is, is that it also has automatic deletion, so that the files will be deleted after 24 hours. So you, if they if they don't pick it up in time, they're gonna have to ask you for to send it again. So you know whether or not they got it in the time. But also you can set it up to say you know I only have this many downloads. So if you want to set up a file that is you just want yourself to be sharing it from one computer to another or that kind of thing, you can say once it's downloaded one time kill it off the server. So that's a nice feature. And it allows you to send files up to five five gigabytes to be stored on the wormhole servers. Or if you want to do more than that, up to like 10 gigabytes, I think, that you could do a peer-to-peer transfer through the torrent system. But that requires both people to be you know involved and have the web browser open. But I, either way, it's very cool. And if you are looking for any kind of way to do like quick file sharing, I think wormhole is a really cool to check out. And so it's wormhole, wormhole.app. Send your files at warp speed through the wormhole. Yes. Also, very important. That's a good point. (laughs) When you start sending a file, it does an animation like you're going through a wormhole. Beautiful. And it does use it because of the animation, honestly. There are other (laughs) services that send files, but the animation they have. Yeah. It just enhances it so much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They must have made it on Arch. (laughs) Our tip this week is going to focus on the terminal. Now, I I often, I struggle with this a little bit because there are people that come to me and they say, you know, I just love the UI, especially when we get interns or new techs. They say, man, I just love GUI apps. It's great because they're explorable and you can explore technology. You can look around for the thing that you want and then click on it and experiment and see what happens. What do you do with the CLI? Flash, flash, flash. I don't know what to do. Flash, flash, flash. Now what? Flash, 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 flash. Just stuck, right? And that can be really intimidating and really daunting. I know what I want to do. I don't know how to get there. And that's not the case with the GUI. And so sometimes there's a temptation to say, well, we will stick with the GUI, but it's not as fast. It's not as quick and it's not as elegant and certainly isn't as versatile. And so over time, we want to move towards the CLI because that's how we become Linux ninjas. So our tip this week is Apropos. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Apropos. Apropos. Yeah, right. That's what I said. I was seeing if you were paying attention. So Apropos, it allows you to search 
for a specific command. So for example, if you type A-P-R-O-P-O-S space, and then in quotations, list directory, maybe I don't know what I'm looking for exactly. I just know that I want to see the directories are in my, that are, I want to see all the directories that are in my current working directory. And if I type that, it's going to give me the available commands like dir or ls, or I could type A-P-R-O-P-O-S and then in quotations, find files by name, and it's going to give me the locate command. So the next time you're sitting down and you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't want to do it from the CLI and I can't even do a man page because I don't know what the command I'm looking for is. Do you know what it does? Do you think you could search the description then take a look at apro. Well, how's it pronounced? Apropos. Apropos. I'm glad you're paying attention, Michael. Yeah, we knew that. We were just testing you. Oh, okay. You're, you're welcome. So make sure to check that out. If it doesn't make a lot of sense as we're explaining it and going through pronunciation, then check out the show notes because we've got examples listed in there. Also, make sure to come back in future weeks for our next tips and tricks right here on Destination Linux. And before we close out, I want to talk about all of the cool events that are going around in the open source and Linux world. And I also want to invite you to send us an email while you're leaving your comments, telling us how much you enjoy Jill, Noah, and my uh, addition to the show. I think you show. forgot something. Oh, oh yeah. And my <clears throat> and Michael's addition okay, to the show. Great, thanks. Then you can also send us <laughs> any of the events going on in the area. So if you have a conference going on or something that promotes open source or privacy security, those things, let us know about it. And we'll try to include it in the show notes and get the word out for it. And speaking of, we received a really nice email with just this that was highlighted uh, the fact that a CGL, which is Seattle GNU Conference. Seagull. Seagull. It's Seagull. That makes sense. Seagull. Is being held November 5th and 6th online and is open to professionals and enthusiasts alike. So no matter what your skill level, you can go and sign up to join and be a part of this. They're also, it looks like, still looking for speakers as well. They have a lot of, they have a whole speaker panel set up, but if you wanted to do a presentation or something at an event, you could do that here. If you go to Seagull, S-E-A-G-L dot org, you can get more information on that event. And also, Fedora 35 beta testing is still going on right up until the release, so you can get involved now. I suggest, because I think it's a fantastic written article on fedoramagazine.org, if you look for their article on September 28th, it will give you all the instructions of things to do and not to do to test out and sites to visit if you want to get involved in the beta testing. This is the easiest way that you can give back to a distro that you love is to go out there, take your hardware, whatever it is, test out the latest version of Fedora or or whomever, whatever distro is testing. In this case, Fedora 35 has their testing week open. Go test it, send them any bugs or anything so they can get that fixed before the release. And people who are coming into Linux brand new, download Fedora 35, for instance, are gonna have an amazing experience because of the work that you contributed to as a part of this. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for watching or listening, however you do it. We love your faces. And if you want more DL, become a patron like all of these beautiful people with us right here in our 50,000 square foot virtual stadium behind the scenes. We can't wait to see you there. Every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're now live at DLNlive.com. The best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. Hey, we can't wait to see you in the chat. 
And also go to dealinstore.com. You can pick up some swag or some merch. We got t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, aprons, backpacks, all sorts of stuff. You can see the mug that Jill is showing off and also the Linux 91 hat and shirt that we were sporting on it. Mm. There's so much great stuff at Deal In Store. There's actually a twill apron where you so you can twill while you grill. So many great options. Only way to grill. Yeah, and also or on your stool. For those who want a travel mug, those are also available at dealinstore.com, so check that out. There's so much great stuff. Just check it out at the dealinstore.com. And make sure to check out all the amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, Deal In, Extend, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and get your Fedora hat on with the Fedora podcast. So everyone head to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these shows. Woohoo! And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. And everybody, have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.